We had the Cub Scouts come out and they put a kid at every toilet in the facility, um, rang a bell and everybody flushed everything, turned on the water just to make sure that everything was going to work. What's up, Dad Hack crew, and welcome to another episode of the Dad Hack Chronicles podcast. My name is Ed, and this week, guys, I am happy to bring you a very specific, very special episode, okay? Uh, I met with Jason Michael Ford. Who is Jason Michael Ford? Well, Jason Michael Ford is a, he's an architect, guys. That's right. Uh, he designs uh, ballparks and, uh, well, he's part of a team that designs ballparks and stadiums and all that. And he designed a very, 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 very beautiful ballpark in uh, Kannapolis, North Carolina. That's right, guys. The Kannapolis Cannonballers. Uh, we got into how we both met, um, how he got into the business of uh, architecture and sports and all that fun stuff. Um, he is a fan of baseball, guys. I want you guys to know. So uh, it makes it even better when, when someone is such a big, huge fan of sports. He has a very specific team that he follows, which we talked about in the episode. Okay. But before I give you guys the episode, I wanted to remind you guys that every Tuesday and Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, it is the That Hat Chronicles Sports Show. Uh, join us every week. We'll talk football, basketball, baseball, no tennis. Uh, sorry, Mike. Uh, and then um, we, we, you know, we have some fun, guys. We really have some fun. So make sure you guys go ahead and do me a favor. Hit the subscribe button on my YouTube channel so that way you guys are always in the know when that um, when the show comes up, when I drop some new videos, all that fun stuff. All right, now that I got the business out of the way, let's go ahead and get into the episode. And there you go. Without further ado, I give you the episode. All right. Well, guys, thank you for joining me. My name is Ed, and welcome to another episode of the Data Chronicles. Um, obviously, like I said, uh, my name is Ed Rivera, your host here. Uh, and with me today, I have a special, um, a special case for you guys. Uh, you know, we talk about baseball. We talk, we always talk about, you know, people who work in baseball, right? Uh, general managers, uh, the players, GMs, all that fun stuff, right? This time, I'm going in from a little bit of a different uh, aspect here, and we are going to talk to to Jason Michael Ford. You are uh, an architect, right, Jason? Yes. Uh, and uh, you, my friend, you're one of the many people that design ballparks. Now, that is cool stuff. So, But we'll get into that in a minute. But I want to know, how are you doing today? And first of all, at this time of this, this, uh, this uh, recording, where are you recording from, my friend? I'm actually in Nashville at the winter baseball meetings. Uh, so, you know, they had meetings this year in Vegas and in Nashville. And so I've been lucky enough to uh, have attended both meetings this fall and then now in the winter. Oh, my God. How exciting is that? You get to be at both places, Vegas, which was great weather, I'm sure. You know, Nashville is a great place to have a meeting, right, as well. Home of the Nashville Sounds. Nashville Sounds, yep. And, you know, really for us, it's just an opportunity to have all of our clients, all of our potential clients, sort of in one space. So uh, just prior to joining the podcast, we had a little bit of a happy hour downstairs and and meeting new folks, meeting folks that we've done ballparks for, and hopefully meeting folks that we'll do ballparks for in the future. That's cool stuff. So, uh, so but let's start it with, with you, right? Let's start to get to a little bit about you um, and, 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 you know, 
obviously you're in, in order to be doing this, you have to have at least some kind of like love for the game of baseball, correct? Correct. So tell me, growing up, what was your team, you know, growing up? What what team did you root for? Well, oddly enough, so I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So right smack dab between the Tigers and the Cubs. Mm -hmm. uh, at a time where you had WGN, Superstation, and you had WTBS. So Braves games were on, Cubs games were on, um, got to watch, obviously, the Tigers. But that was really before regional sports networks, um, sort of the infancy, I would say, of cable TV. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, getting to watch the Braves, who at the time were in the American or the National League West, um, they play the Dodgers, they play the Padres, all of those teams out West, which is sort of interesting when you think about them. I was just going to say the same order, thing. Right. Yeah. So, um, but again, from where I grew up, it was really the Cubs or the Tigers is kind of who you rooted for. I love it. So it's just, you rooted for just the, the whole game of baseball pretty much. And, but you know, those were a little bit, the ones that you saw the most, obviously because of the birth of cable uh, TV and cable networks. Yeah. And, you know, again, you think about the time frame and, 1984, so remember it very well, mm -hmm. um, Padres and the Cubs played uh, in the NLCS. And for whatever reason, I sort of grabbed, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't root for the Cubs. I'm that guy that didn't, doesn't root necessarily for the home team. Yeah. So I kind of started rooting for the Padres in 84. Um, and then they beat the Cubs. They came back, uh, you know, I think they were down three games to one, came back to win that series. And then, lo and behold, guess who they play next in the World Series? Tigers. So... <laughs> The Tigers ended up sweeping them. Um, I, have, I hate to say that, but at the time, you know, uh, as a young boy, my my neighbor went to the World Series, brought me back a pennant. Oh, uh, sort of from that moment on, I was locked in as a Padres fan. Don't know why, but you know, I've I've always been a Padres fan ever since '84. So, coming up on almost 40 years now of of being a Padres fan. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, man. I mean, the Padres are that one team, and I'm kind of. You know, Padres have gone through this resurgence, right? When it comes to uniforms and 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 style and all that. Like at one point, they were the brown and and the yellow mustard, and now they're back to it again. Although I gotta say though, I, I for a brief period of time, I did love those navy blue, that kind of like yep. ocean. That those were really nice uh, uniforms back in the day. Yeah, and those you know they did those uniforms actually when they moved to Petco. So again, a little bit um, of of full circle here. I got to work on Petco Park. So again, a dream come true for me. Got to attend the '98 World Series. Unfortunately, I went to Game Three when Trevor Hoffman gave up a home run to Scott Brocious. <laughs> Top of the ninth, right? I mean, it would you know, I, I think there were over seventy thousand people at that game. Um, I've never heard so many people so loud to have Brocious connect with that pitch to go so quiet, and then ultimately, again, yeah. my Padres got swept in the World Series. Yep, yep, yep. I, uh, that's uh, it's that one hurts a little. That one hurt. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it did. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking here actually at your. Uh, I'm I'm on your company website right now, right? And you know you've done some uh, Citizens uh, Bank Park, you know, yep. uh, for Philadelphia. Our our friend uh, Paul Caputo would you know would love to have a conversation with you. Him being a Phillies fan. Um, but you did, you know, some college ball as well. Um, the Oklahoma University of Oklahoma, uh, Florida, Mississippi State, uh, and then you know one that um, that it's that, and this is where I met you. As a matter of fact, uh, we met at Canapolis, uh, home of yep. the Canapolis Cannonballers. That's the you know that's like you know 
uh, I was there with Tim Siegel, who is the groundskeeper for the team. And he goes like, do you know who that guy is? Like, I have no idea. I was like, <laughs> I was like, he's the one, he's the architect. He's the one who designed the ballpark. And I'm like, get out of town. So I told him, I hold on a second. So I, I came straight to you and, and, uh, um, decided to uh, meet you first. So that was, you know, thank you for being so, you know, graceful with uh, when I met you. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think working on Pet, so Petco Park was one of the first ballparks that I worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we had a very large team uh, at Populous working on that. Um, then we kind of kept the same team, design team, I would, I would say, uh, which did Phillies. And ironically enough, those two ballparks actually opened in the same year, uh, about a week apart, because Padres, there was a lawsuit about the public financing with that ballpark. So during construction, it actually sat um, with, with no activity for two years. So that ballpark was supposed to open in 2002, Phillies 2004. They ended up both opening in April of 2004. Um, so it was kind of a fun actually time in my life where got to go to both openers. I think one, I think the Padres game was on a Friday and the, the Phillies game might've been on a Monday or, or that following Tuesday. So it was, it was kind of a, a fun couple of days there. And, you know, I think you mentioned kind of where, um, you know, my experience has led me. From there, I just I kind of fell in love with not only obviously baseball, but just designing ballparks and the uniqueness yeah. of ballparks. And and you look at Petco Park, you look at Citizens Bank Park. There are there are two completely different you know ballparks in terms of the style of architecture, the playing field dimensions. Um, you know, we built a ballpark in San Diego that was a pitcher's ballpark. Um, the Padres were you know a small market team. They didn't spend a lot of money at that time on roster. Uh, contracts. And so they wanted a ballpark that played very big. Um, the great, you know, Larry Lacino, I learned a lot from him on that project. He talked a lot about, you know, people come. And, and again, this was post kind of towards the end of the steroid era, I would say, of people come to ballparks because they want to see triples. They want to see inside the park home runs. They want to see things that, you know, that create excitement. And, and that's what a unique geometry to a ballpark does and if you look at petco you'll see that in the right field where the foul pole is you'll see that in the western metal building in terms of that being the left field foul pole and just the dynamic dynamic of that you know unique aspect that baseball is the only sport that we can really as designers impact the dimensions you know you can't do that on football you can't really do that on soccer obviously you can't do that with basketball and hockey so we really get to impact the game along with the clubs that we work for and you know having the visions of really creating something unique every time. And, and from there, you know, again, working on two major league ballparks, having the opportunity then to work at the University of Michigan. So again, a kid growing up in Grand Rapids, having the opportunity to work on a renovation uh, at the time for um, Fisher Stadium, which ultimately became Wilpon Field. So again, tied back to uh, the Mets and their organization, um, Fred Wilpon. And so in that sort of sort of moment that transition in my career of work you know from working on very large stadiums to really smaller collegiate ballparks that gives me the opportunity to work at Mississippi State uh, which is a very large collegiate ballpark mm-hmm. opportunity to work at the University of Florida another brand new ballpark uh, in the SEC uh, and then just that opportunity again to evolve in to minor league ballparks which are essentially very similar to you know in size and scale to collegiate ballparks so Kannapolis I think um, you know, still very early in my career, um, but the team that we had uh, at Populous, that ballpark, what that's what that's done to the city, um, the organization, the city of Kannapolis, that was that was just really almost a, a pinnacle moment for me personally uh, and professionally because that's just a really great ballpark, uh, a really great place to see a game um, and just 
really proud of that that ballpark. Let me ask you, and something that I've been a couple of questions. First of all, how how did you get into the business of like designing ballparks, right? Because I'm sure this is a very unique business, right? Um, and and obviously you you uh, I see you you know you got your bachelor's of architecture at Kansas State. Uh, so like from then on, is that like how you just like progress into that? Like how did you get into designing or being part of a design team of a ballpark? Right. So I, I learned probably in seventh or eighth grade that I couldn't hit a curveball, yeah. um, but that didn't, that didn't um, you know, squash my love of, of sports, my squat, my love of, of baseball. Um, and so I, I don't know that I ever knew kind of what architecture I wanted to, to, to focus on, but um, having gone to Kansas state, um, Kansas city really being the sports architecture capital of the world. Um, I knew very kind of early on in my career that I wanted to work for Populous. Um, and so I actually uh, applied to do an internship. Um, my fourth year of college, we do a, a, a semester internship. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for me, the timing of that aligned with the baseball strike. Um, and so Populous at the time was designing uh, Coors Field. Mm -hmm. uh, Coors Field opened, uh, which would have been in 1994, I believe. Um, and so that was kind of, again, I knew that's where I wanted to work. or I, I thought that's where I wanted to work working on these, you know, sports projects, thought it was really, really interesting. Um, and then, so at, at that time I applied, uh, met with them, got an interview and, you know, ultimately because of the baseball strike, they didn't have an opportunity for me at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so a little bit of a setback, a little bit of a crushing blow, um, ultimately did my internship in, in Orlando, Florida, which, you know, at the time was where the, the largest um, number of folks under 25 lived. And so it was a really great experience for me, a different climate than I had ever, had ever been in. Uh, worked in judicial and hospital uh, kind of architecture in that internship. It was all right. It didn't, you know, but it was just a building. And so yeah. uh, going back to school for my fifth year um, and really focused on hopefully having an opportunity to apply and work at, at Populous, which uh, when I graduated college, I think I graduated on a on a Friday and started to work on a Tuesday. I mean, that's how eager I was to kind of get, get in the door and, and see what, see what I could do. That's pretty cool. Like you're like, no, I am not messing around. We're in graduation. Let's go. We don't have time to waste. Correct. I mean, it, and you know, got to pay off those student loans. Got to, you know, got to <laughs> get, got to get rent going. So I was, I was focused on, you know, getting to work. That's awesome. I love that. And, and so so was then, um, like you said, Petco Park and uh, and Citizens. That was part. You were part of those were first projects when you started at Populars, or was there another project that was first when you got there? Well, ironically enough, so when I started um, in May of '96, mm -hmm. um, the first project I actually worked on was Nissan Stadium. Uh, at the time, um, it was Adelphia Coliseum, so the home of the um, Tennessee Titans. Mm -hmm. So the Titans were or the um, Houston was moving. Uh, the Oilers were moving to Houston or oh, from wow. Houston to, to Nashville. And that was the first project that I was sort of assigned to. Um, and during that process, I actually got a chance to work uh, on the Nashville arena as well. And then when the Predators came to town, we worked on a renovation for the Predators moving into Nashville arena, which is now Bridgestone arena. Mm -hmm. So I spent a little bit of time in Nashville, which is kind of, you know, kind of funny <laughs> because I went to the opening game at uh, Adelphia Coliseum at the time. Um, and then while I was here this weekend, I actually went to a game. So first time I've been to a game in Tennessee at football in like 25 years. So I went to the first game and now 
uh, went to a game on Sunday. So it's that, a little bit full circle. Um, and I will say the building looks great. Um, it was really cool to kind of see there's a lot of things there that are original to the building. Um, but after that Tennessee Titans project is when I had the, when, you know, again, we were pursuing the Padres being a Padres guy that I really kind of put my name out there to say, oh, this is a project that I want to work on. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So obviously, and again, this is just me, you know, pure guessing right here that when there is a a a, a project of that magnitude, the large scale that it is, um, I'm sure there is a pretty big team that is assigned specifically to that, right? Do you guys do you, like at that point? Do you get assigned a specific project that you have to do? How does that work? You know, because I'm sure that it's a pretty big team, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, I I joked you know, somewhat this weekend that we, you know, in the restrooms, like I, at the Titan stadium, I wasn't, I was working on laying out toilets. I was working on laying out stairs for the building. I mean, elements like that, that you don't think about um, the way that these are, that we structure these projects really is you have, you know, a project manager, and then you will have project architects who are, are responsible for different parts of the building. So mm-hmm. uh, it's as simple as the architecture piece simple as the mechanical, electrical, plumbing piece, yeah. simple as the structural piece. So we obviously work with structural engineers, mechanical engineers, um, but we'll assign a, an architect to oversee the coordination of those aspects of the building. So as all of those things come together in a building, you've got people that are kind of leading those efforts. And then under those folks, you'll have people who are, again, taking direction, laying things out, making things work, um, all of those things to ultimately design or deliver a, a set of drawings that the contractor will build from. So you get to that point, you bid it, you get a contractor, and then you go into what we call construction administration, which is basically during construction, you know, the contractor will submit shop drawings, you'll be site visits, all of those things through the completion of a project. So uh, depending on the size of the project, you could have, you know, a collegiate ballpark might have two project architects and maybe a couple of folks working underneath it to, you know, a project like Petco or Citizens Bank Park could have up to 20, 25 people just in our office working on that project at any given time. That's one that's crazy, but two that's really awesome to be part of a of a project like that. Uh, that that you're just saying it's like yeah, like listen, and and you're right though, right? You know, people don't think about those things: the stairs, bathroom layouts, you know, stalls, things like that. But like a, a, everything has to fit in a in a certain manner in order for you to maximize the full you know uh, a space in which you guys are working with. Well, and and I think that's really what I love most about what I do is. We have a team. Mm-hmm. We work with teams. We're constantly kind of in that team mode that you understand how all of that stuff works, where it's just not one person. Uh, it takes multiple people to get things done. And so working with sports teams, whether it's professional teams, collegiate teams, you feel like you're a part of that team. When the Padres went to the World Series, I felt like I was part of that team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though I'm not on the field, even though I'm not making decisions in the front office, you still feel part of that because you're all working together for that common goal of constructing and building this building, um, this ballpark. And, and so again, it just, it, it feels more than just a job. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're not just checking off, you know, working off a checklist to make sure you get the right details and the right sheets into a set. It's really kind of looking at how that building is going to change the lives or impact the lives of not only the people that live in that community, but the people that experience that ballpark on any given day. Oh, I love it. Um, so let me let me uh, switch a little bit here, and I, I really would love to talk about um, the Canapolis Cannonballers, right? You know, 
we love baseball. You know, that's the thing. But what I what I love about the uniqueness of this ballpark is it's not just a an actual ballpark, but it's actually part of the town park, right? So you can walk around, which I ended up doing during a fall a couple of years ago. I went in and I walked around the whole concourse, that project. Um, walk me through that because that, that you know, to me, right, as someone who's not in the business, but like, I, I see that as a very unique opportunity to uh, to uh, not just um, you know have people during there doing the games, but also during the day or during the weekend where there's no games, so the families can walk around. I'm sure that was kind of like a unique opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it was something that the city from from day one wanted to make it a park, wanted it to be open, wanted people to be able to to walk the concourse, um, you know, and it was really important to them that the design sort of, you know, upheld that, that, that decision for them to do that. And, you know, you think about it all the time, you, you go to facilities where they're locked up all the time and you, people are looking in. I mean, this, this really had the opportunity for people to experience it and having, you know, with it originally set to open in 2020, <laughs> that yeah. really was a benefit because, it always, they had always intended for it to be open. So with no games in that 2020 season, the team actually was able to open, you know, open concession stands during the day on the weekends, have the outfield bar open. And so they were able to, to generate some revenue in that non, you know, baseball season of 2020. And it allowed people to come experience the ballpark, not on an event day when, you know, the, the, the biggest stress test is on, on ballparks, and any project is that opening day when people have never been to a facility, they don't know where to go, they don't know where their seats are. So we were able to have that ballpark open for an entire year before its really first true event, its first stress test. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, that goes back to the city leadership um, of how they wanted this ballpark not only to be an anchor for their other development, but just keep it open year-round. I mean, people would just go out and get a time where you want it to be outdoors and order, you know, food get it and sit in the bowl and just sit there and stare at the field. Just look at the field. Um, it was, it was really something that I think is not, not so much unique to that ballpark anymore because people have seen it uh, and they know that that's something that's really a benefit to the community. I, I have people ask me all the time, how many chairs are stolen? How many, you know, how many, how much vandalism do they have? And they haven't had a single theft. They haven't had a single uh, incident of vandalism because people look at the ballpark as something that's theirs in the community. And so they appreciate that. And I think, again, that's a, a testament to the leadership that, that that led this project. And you're right. And it's a beautiful ballpark. And I walked around it and, and you can definitely tell the, the the love and care that the team puts into that park because it still looks amazing to this day. I was there, you know, like, you know, last summer, right? We were there and it looks absolutely beautiful. Obviously, they're 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 building more, right? They're incorporating more of the entertainment side on the by the outfield and all that. Um, when you guys, um, and I want to get back to the stress test because I really, I, I, that really caught my attention, but, um, when you are designing, do you leave an open, uh, spot for like, you know, like, you know, for any future buildings or anything like that? Like, you, you know, do you plan ahead a couple of years ahead for any kind of renovations or is that something that's not thought about? It is. We, you know, we think about expansion, we think about, um, different seating types, Mm -hmm. um, so making, you know, the profile of the bowl, um, the profile of like berm seating so that you can expand seating if you want to. Um, I think really the, the, the way of the, the future or, or kind of what we're seeing right now is that development around the ballpark, incorporating that development so that it really becomes part of the ballpark. Um, and that's really, 
in most cases, that's where the public private uh, partnership comes into play. That's where the you know private investment comes into play on those development mm-hmm. buildings around the ballpark. So we, you know, in an ideal situation like Canapolis, we're always thinking about what kind of uh, mixed use development we can do in and around the ballpark and really try to integrate that into the ballpark. So you just don't have ballpark sitting there and then you build things around that have no relationship to the ballpark. I mean, I, I think about the battery in Atlanta and how that yeah. was, in, uh, how that was master planned. And so when you arrive and you walk through the restaurants and you walk through that area and then you arrive at the ballpark, all of that is planned. All of that is thought about. And, you know, in, in collegiate projects, we talk about the recruiting path um, in terms of how when a student athlete arrives and where they go and what do they see and what's that, what's that sequence to really get them to understand how the facility and how the program works. And we also think about that in professional baseball uh, of, you know, when someone arrives, um, Canapolis, again, is a great example is you want somebody showing up an hour and a half before the first pitch so that they park, they walk through the development, they maybe go to a restaurant, maybe they have some drinks, they arrive at the ballpark, they enjoy the game, the games have now sped up with the pitch clock. Um, and then after the game, instead of rushing back home, they do the same thing going back to where they where they came. So having a couple more drinks afterwards or going to hear some music or doing something else to, again, just enjoy that experience, that the experience isn't just, you know, nine innings anymore. It's the, the portion before and the portion after and you're really creating just an overall experience that, you know, doesn't have everything to do with baseball, but baseball, I think, is at the heart of it. It's very, very true. And I am noticing a trend into those entertainment areas and not just for baseball as well. But before I get to that question, I wanted to know, um, you said something interesting that caught my attention and you said it was a stress test, right? That's the very first day, opening day for a ballpark. Um, first of all, do you usually attend most of those uh those events that you worked on? And then second, uh, what's, what are some of the things that you look into when you are running those stress tests, you know, when you're, uh, there, uh, uh, experiencing that, that aspect of that? Yeah, we try to be at all of those. I think a lot of times when the building is ready, um, something happens that almost every park is called a super flush. Mm-hmm. So you think about installing all of the toilets and all of those things. And now for the first time, 5,000 people are using the toilets, um, where they've never done that before. So you don't want that to, again, that's specifically something you don't want to not work on opening day, right? So um, Tennessee was a good example of the Titans. We had the Cub Scouts come out and they put a kid at every toilet in the facility, um, rang a bell and everybody flushed everything, turned on the water just to make sure that everything was going to work in that stress test. But I think, you know, for the actual event, we've seen um, clients who, We'll have a, you know, Canapolis, their first games were college games. They had a couple college games before the Cannonballers actually played to, again, just allow to see how the facility worked. Um, you know, these facilities, they're, they're, they're all unique. So every time you kind of can learn something from kind of what you've designed and how to improve that or find something where you say, you know, this works really well. We want to make sure when we do the next ballpark, we incorporate that. Um, but I think it all comes down to, signage, wayfinding, um, you know, easily getting in and out, out of restrooms, how the concessions are set up and where the queuing is set up for those. Um, because baseball, again, unlike any other sport, is unique because you can have, you know, 17, you know, breaks in action. Right. Whereas, you know, at the Titans game this weekend, you had first quarter, halftime, third quarter. And so yeah, that, that's pretty much that it, building yeah. is, is, is three times. Baseball, people get up, they're more leisurely, 
you get up at a half inning, you'll get up at the end of the end of an inning. So you don't have as much of a rush to those things. So it's, it's, it's again, it's a more, I think sometimes just a better experience because of that. Um, you're not, you know, I don't have to get up at halftime and get something to eat. I can wait till the fifth inning, sixth inning, um, or I can get something before the game starts. It's interesting. You're right. And and I never really thought about that, right? You know, you have those super rushes at, at, at the events such as uh, NFL or basketball, right? Or even hockey, right? Because those are per period uh, and, and per quarter. So you, you have to go during that time in order for you not to miss anything. With baseball, like you said, it's very unique. There is a break every inning, you know, or every half inning, there is a right. break. So you can go out and then, like you said, uh, and this just ties up into my, my next question is, um, the entertainment side of it now it's become not just baseball but also uh, ballparks have become more entertainment areas you know where you guys go and hang out there's more not just seating but there's the bar area there's the lounging area now is that something that you you know that you guys have seen a a trend before or how has that you know do you guys look at, at those trends uh, in, in your in your business we do. And, and seating types, I think it, it was something, again, that with with Larry Lacino in San Diego, we you, we talked about neighborhoods, um, different types of seating. Um, you know, minor league baseball in particular really talks, really focuses on group sales. Mm -hmm. um, so having different types of group seating areas. Um, you'll see in soccer now they have safe standing areas. So those seating types do a couple of different things, right? They give you opportunities to have a different experience at the ballpark, whether you come with your family, whether you come with friends whether you're going with, you know, folks from, from work. So it's, you know, the number of baseball games in particular in a, in a season, there's so many games that it's really hard to, to go to something where it's the same experience every time. So creating different sort of seating neighborhoods, different seating types um, that allows you to have different experiences as you go to games each time. The game is obviously going to be different. You could have a, a pitcher's duel or you could have a real a game with a lot of runs, but having different experiences within the same ballpark, is something that people are looking for because they want a little bit of variety um, throughout the season. Let me ask you, does the process of designing a, a ballpark, um, you know, collegiate or, or minor league or even professional, the, the timeline of that, I'm sure that's what a, a, a year or two years, a couple of years of just, just design only. And then, you know, um, then after, after that, there's reviews and all that, correct? Yeah. So there's multiple phases of a project, I think, from start to finish, usually about a year and a half to two years <laughs> from design standpoint. And then at different milestones, you'll submit packages um, that will get priced, um, packages that will then get sent to local uh, officials for review, for code review, permitting, all of that stuff. Uh, bid documents then that go out to the contractor so they can bid the project out to subcontractors. So Throughout the design phase of, let's say, that that you know, 16 months, 18 months, um, there's usually three or four packages that will go out um, on a project, too. In bid packages, you could have multiple bid packages. So you could do bid packages for the earthwork, for example, the foundations as one. To, you know what that information is going to be as you're finalizing the finishes in a suite or in a club level. So there can be two or three bid packages as well that would be, again, sequential to uh, the construction of the ballpark. So ultimately it depends on the delivery process and it depends on the timeline uh, of how you do that and what the sequencing needs to be, but multiple design phases and then multiple usually bid packages in a project.
for and I'm sure even throughout the whole process throughout the like you know the construction site I'm sure there has to be some all right we got to revisit some of these design things that we thought was going to work is no longer uh feasible let's you know that that I'm sure that's a, a fun time for you guys as architects when it comes to that yeah I mean that's the time where I think you probably you know get your experience of drawing something and seeing it come to reality and seeing it work. I mean, that ultimately is you've got to draw something that that works and that can be built. And so we're working with the contractors at that point to make sure that those things, what what is in the field uh, is what was designed and to make sure that, that that's going to work, not only from a design standpoint, from a, from a safety standpoint, from a code standpoint, all of those things we have to take into consideration. That's pretty cool, man. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode so far, right? Part one. Now, join me next week as we finish this uh, this conversation, right? Jason and I will finish our conversation uh, when it comes to architecture, ballparks, um, and obviously my famous, not so famous question. So you guys got to uh, join me next week, okay? Now, a couple of things before I go. Again, I just reminded you earlier in the episode, but I wanted to remind you again, every Tuesday and Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern time, uh, the Dad Hat Chronicles Sports Show. Um, we talk everything, guys, not just baseball, but we talk talk all sports we have a lot of fun we even talk about you know things that make no sense that's what makes this so much fun so what i want you to do is i want you to hit that subscribe button okay hit the subscribe button so that way you are always in the know when it comes to all of the uh all of the videos the, the the live shows all that stuff same thing for this podcast okay hit the subscribe button and then also last thing make sure you tell somebody uh about this uh this episode okay that way they'll be able to enjoy it just like you do okay again a thousand thanks to jason for joining me this week uh make sure you guys join me next week as we finish that conversation all right so now that we got that part done let me go ahead and finish this episode with the wonderful wonderful dad joke of the episode and here it is did you hear about the man who invented the knock-knock joke? He won the Nobel Prize. All right, all right. I'll see myself out, guys. And until then, keep grinding, guys. And always support the minor leagues. See ya.